But I think it's important to really stress that, and that's as much as I'll stress that this uh, way because I don't want the explicit label on my podcast. But I really do. I think New Year's resolutions are just about worthless. Now, why would you even make a New Year's resolution? Some folks see the calendar turning and say, hey, it's just time for a fresh start. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Thank you very much for joining me here for another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I appreciate your time. Uh, Welcome to the new year, if no one's welcomed you yet. Uh, We're into the new year now, and uh, I hope it's going to be a really great one for you. I have had a doctor's visit. It was just a couple of days ago now. I'm recording this episode on Friday, January 5th. You're going to be listening to it on or after Monday, January 8th. But as of the time of this recording, I had a doctor's visit a couple days ago. And it was not terribly pleasant. I got my numbers back for the first 90-day period without Manjaro this A1C covers the last 90 days from about, I think, the 29th of December is when we had the blood work taken. So it would have been the 29th of September through the 29th of December. And that 90-day period was completely without Manjaro. It was completely out of my system by that time. Anyway, my A1C reading for this doctor's visit was 7.1. Now that's an increase. If you remember about Six months ago, five, six months ago, I had my best ever, no, it was only about four months ago, I had my best ever A1C reading of 4.8. And of course, that was fully on Manjaro, having been on Manjaro for about eight months at that time. Getting an A1C level of 7.1 was a shocker. Now, I did report uh, on the last podcast that with the holidays, honestly, the last couple of months, I have not been eating to plan every day. And for the last 30 days or so, it was really out of whack. It's a mind thing with me. I know what to do. I know how to do it. And somehow, some days, I talk myself out of doing it. I say it's not going to matter. I say it's not going to make a difference. But here we see a 90-day A1C of 7.1. Anything above 7, and they want to work to decrease it. You can have an A1C of 6.5, 6.6, 6.7, whatever, and doctors really aren't going to want to do much about that. They want to keep it below 7. And now for the first time in, I'm going to say about a year and a half, maybe two years, my A1C is above 7. You might say, oh, just barely, 7.1. But still for me, that was quite a dramatic jump to go from an A1C of 4.8 up to an A1C of 7.1 after just three or four months. Now, 
it's obvious that the Manjaro was helping me. It was helping me in really two ways. And I think this is what most of the people find who use it. It was helping me control my blood sugar after I had ingested food. And biologically speaking, it was actually processing that sugar, making me more sensitive to the insulin that I had. And that's a great help. But it was also controlling my appetite. It was dramatically controlling my appetite to where if I ate once, maybe twice a day, I was totally fine. And that showed up in my weight loss, that showed up in my blood sugar readings, because I simply was not eating carbohydrates. I would eat maybe 30, 40 grams of carbohydrates a day, and not more than that. Now I'm talking net carbohydrates. So that shows you that Manjaro was having a significant effect on me. So I'm on the Farsiga, and I'm on Metformin. This doctor visit, she actually is increasing my Farsiga from 5 milligrams to 10 milligrams. Again, trying to get me down back down below the 7. Now, what I have to do on my part is have more days where I'm eating according to my plan. I've actually got a good plan. I've shared that with you before. Keep my net carbohydrates certainly below 100 grams, but most days below 80 grams. And then also eating enough protein. I want to maintain muscle mass. And then I tend to eat, when I'm following my plan, during a particular window. I tend to eat from about 1 p.m. to about 7 p.m. So I have about a six-hour window where I try and get my eating done. And that is to get my glucose to go up all at once and then back down and not have my body digesting and constantly churning out uh, insulin over a long period of the day. If you start eating 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm talking carbohydrates mostly, but if you start eating 6, 7 o'clock in the morning and then continue your eating until 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, your body's working basically 16, 17 hours a day digesting food. And even if it's only eating once every 4 or 5 hours, it's still digesting that food over the entire period. In fact, it might be digesting food for longer than that if the last thing you ate was maybe at 10 o'clock at night, a little bedtime snack, quote-unquote. Now, for me, eating meat and veg, that does not raise my blood sugar at all. My coffee in the morning, and I add heavy cream, does not raise my blood sugar at all. What raises my blood sugar is eating carbohydrates. So I try and keep that when I'm eating on my plan to about six, seven hours a day. The problem is when I don't eat according to my plan, and that usually involves eating after, say, six or seven o'clock at night, and then I just tend to eat way, way too much of all the things that are not good for me. So sticking to my plan is going to help me dramatically, and I just need to work and redouble my efforts to do that. So what's on my needles? I am working on a pullover sweater for one of my grandsons. He is oh, five years old, or he's going to be five years old. I have to go back and do the math. But I think that he's going to like this one. It has bears on it, and it's going to be a hoodie pullover sweater. He likes hoodies. So it's my first attempt at doing a hood. It's really my first attempt of doing complex color work. Stranded color work where you hold two different yarns and you work them back and forth depending on the pattern and then it produces patterns and in my case it's going to produce some bears. 
that go all the way around her sweater. Six bears to be specific, and I'm finding it a little bit of a challenge, but it's fun too. I continue to pick up once in a while a blanket that I'm working on. This blanket is for a very young granddaughter of mine, and I've been working on it since this past June. So now I'm on month seven, and I'm only about a third of the way through. I'm finding it uh, slow going, but nonetheless, one row at a time, and I'll get it done. For my sourdough update, I just put my starter in the refrigerator. I'm going away. I'll be cruising for the next two weeks. That's why I'm recording today on a Friday, because tomorrow morning I leave. And I'm going to be on this cruise ship for two weeks, and my starter would not do well just sitting in its little house that I have for it for the two weeks. It would get too hungry. And I put it in the fridge. And the way I did that is I only gave it half the water at this last feeding this morning. So I put in starter, I put in flour, but then I only put in half the amount of water. So it's a very dry uh, mix. It almost looks like uh, I'm trying to make dough because that's about the ratio that I would use if making uh, bread. But it's just the starter. It's going to hibernate a little bit in the refrigerator. And then when I come back, I'll add water and warm it up and take off from there. So it should do just fine uh, in the fridge. And if not, it's only a couple of weeks to start a new starter. So we'll give this a shot and see how it goes. But I'm also baking my last bread today. I'm doing two loaves. Uh, for my wife. She was supposed to be going to a uh, epiphany party uh, tomorrow night and was going to take some, but they canceled that because we're supposed to get snow here starting late on Saturday and into Sunday. So by the time you hear this, the storm will have passed and we'll see how we did. Right now they're looking at anywhere from two to four inches uh, for our area, which is the most snow we've had in uh, quite some time, well over a year. let's take a look at the news. I got some articles here for you today that I think you'll find interesting. I know I found them interesting when I was reading them. This first one is about Virginia Tech researchers. It says, Virginia Tech researchers awarded nearly $2 million to explore new treatment for type 2 diabetes and obesity. So this is going to be a new study. There haven't been too much work done in this area, but they're going to look at a derivative of uh, a compound that's naturally found in plants like olives, things like that. And there's some anecdotal evidence that it might have some positive effect on blood sugar control and obesity. That's going to be a hopeful study and we'll see how that turns out, but they're just getting started. It's going to be a $2 million coming from the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Disease, part of an NIH effort. And they're looking at various novel ways to treat type 2 diabetes because it is such a big problem, not just in this country, but really around the world. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, results from that study in the future. This next article is talking about a skin condition that could be a symptom that your blood sugar might be uh, too high. And it says, common skin condition could be early warning sign of type 2 diabetes. Now this article goes on to list all the typical symptoms that you might get with high blood sugar, like excessive thirst and vision issues, things like this. But this article is talking about skin tags. 
those little outgrowths, it's normal skin. It's not cancerous or anything, but it's normal skin, but it's a concentrated outgrowth. makes a bump. And uh, that, coupled with also darkening of the specific areas of the skin, it's called hyperpigmentation. Both those things could be good, strong indicators that your blood sugar is too high. And something to think about, but if you have not been diagnosed, but yet you have some of these symptoms, and it lists other common symptoms here in the article that you can see, but this specifically, they're concentrating on these skin conditions as a way for you to think, huh, maybe I should get my blood sugar checked. And I personally think that anyone, any adult at any age, should really be getting a blood sugar screening from your doctor, even once a year would be helpful. All right, this next article called, Can Aloe Vera Help With Type 2 Diabetes? Now, this is pretty interesting. There has been some anecdotal evidence, some very lightweight, I'm going to call them, studies done. They were small, and they weren't all double-blind. But it looks like, and they're, they're doing some more research on this, but it looks like aloe vera might help with blood sugar. They did this little study, and it, it only had a few hundred people in it. But they're saying that by ingesting aloe vera, and it's a supplement, so it's not highly regulated by the FDA, buyer beware, but it says by ingesting an aloe vera gel supplement, either in a powder form, I think is the most common way it comes is powdered, but they're saying that those people who took in 200 milligrams per day saw their fasting blood glucose levels drop by 15.4. So let's say if you had a fasting blood glucose level of 105, they're saying that these folks went down to 90. And also their total cholesterol dropped by 10%, and their bad cholesterol dropped by almost 15%. Anyway, it, it says you be, be careful, be cautioned. There are some issues. They know that for a fact that if you take more than a gram, even just for a few days, it can cause kidney damage. They're also saying that there's some other little undesirable side effects, perhaps abdominal pain, perhaps diarrhea, things like that. But So there's certainly risks with this. But they're also saying that there may be some benefits. So that's another one that they're going to do some more study on. But I never thought of that. Aloe vera as perhaps being helpful. All right, this next article, it says, Study shows loraglutide results in increased insulin sensitivity independent of weight loss. This medication, which has been out for quite a while, loraglutide, it is also one of these glucon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists, GLP-1. It's the same classification type of drug as maybe Ozempic or Manjaro, but it's been around for a while. It's, it wasn't shown to be as effective as terzepatide or semeglutide. But this one, loragulotide, they've now done a study showing that people can get benefits can get better insulin sensitivity, so you're using the insulin in your body better, even if with this particular medication you don't lose weight. So I thought that was helpful, and so for folks who maybe don't need to lose weight but do need help with their insulin sensitivity and blood sugar control, they might want to talk to their doctor about this liraglutide, which has been out for evidently quite some time, several years. All right, this last article here, 
is something uh, I saw on TV, and uh, then I read up about it a little bit. It says, Lily's GLP-1 direct-to-consumer move changes the game. So they're calling it a game changer here. And Eli Lilly produces uh, medications uh, that are the GLP-1 category and Manjaro and Zepbound. So what they're saying is with this new drug they just got approved, and maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's basically a weight loss drug. It's been approved for weight loss. Uh, Zepbound is the exact same chemical medication as Manjaro, but they ask for approval simply for weight loss, and that's what it's approved for currently. But it is the exact same drug, terzepatide, as is in Manjaro, which is approved for type 2 diabetes. Regardless, this is a website put on by the manufacturer. Now, it is telehealth, so it's still doctor prescribed. It still needs a prescription. You must be screened by a doctor, but it's like over video or remote. And you don't have to, therefore, go into a doctor's office, and you don't have to go to the pharmacy. They will, the manufacturer, will ship it directly to you. Now, a couple things I know about Zepbound. I know that it's a partner medication. Manjaro was highly effective for me and had the side effect of helping me lose weight by dramatically controlling my appetite. But this Zepbound, if you do not have commercial insurance that covers it, And because it's brand new, I'm suspecting that almost no one will cover it. It might later on in the year. It's only been available for a few weeks. But this ZepBound is going to cost over $1,000 per month. Right now, you're probably going to be paying out of pocket, even if you have insurance. A few months from now, that might change. Talk to your own particular insurance company. They might jump on the bandwagon sooner or later. If it doesn't, it's going to be over $1,000 a month. Now, they plan on having coupon programs for this. They say that if you have commercial insurance, but it does not cover it, you can use the coupon, and it should only cost $500 a month only. (laughs) But if you do have it covered by your insurance, then it should only cost $25 a month with this coupon. Now, that might depend on what your insurance's copay is, etc. But this Zepbound, I think, is going to be an absolute game changer. Just like Ozempic, then they came out with Wegovi, now Manjaro, and they've come out with Zepbound. So I look forward to reading more about that. I think that's going to help a whole lot of people. And even though I currently do not qualify for Manjaro or Zepbound, For the ZepBound, by the way, you need a BMI of 30. And yeah, I know BMI is crap. But you need a BMI of 30 or a BMI of at least 27 with other complications like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, things like that. So I'm right under that BMI of 27. I was a BMI of 25, but I'm not quite down that low anymore. But I'm still below 27. So I really don't qualify for the Zepbound or the Manjaro. So that's that's just the way it is. So that's the news for this episode. I hope you found that helpful. And right now, I'd like to talk about our main topic. And this is timely, I think, because it is right around the new year. 
This episode is coming out on Monday, January 8th. So right about now is when many folks' New Year's resolutions begin to fail. And I'd like to tell you why I think New Year's resolutions are crap. Now, I think it's the second time I said crap, third time. But I think it's important to really stress that. And that's as much as I'll stress that this uh, way because I don't want the explicit label on my podcast. But I really do. I think New Year's resolutions are just about worthless. Now, why would you even make a New Year's resolution? Some folks see the calendar turning and say, hey, it's just time for a fresh start. Maybe you want to make general improvements like, I don't know, read more novels, have more date nights with your partner, eat more vegetables. That's nice. That's a nice sentiment, a general improvement. But maybe you have a very specific goal, or I'm going to call it destination. For example, maybe you say, hey, in 2024, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Or you know what, for me, in 2024, I want to get my A1C below 7. Or in 2024, I want to get more exercise. Those are specific things. But I got to tell you, even though they have a number attached or they, they, they talk about more or less. There's a difference between an action and a goal. Some people say that a goal without actions is just a dream. And maybe there's nothing wrong with dreaming. I dream of winning the lottery. Of course, I don't play the lottery, but oh, I dream of winning the lottery or blah, blah, blah. But I think, and I found this to be true for me, I think what I need are specific actions. And I don't need specific actions that change or are implemented at the beginning of a calendar year. I need specific actions daily. I need something specific and measurable, something that was subject to fine-tuning, because this is how you form habits. You form habits by repeating small, mundane things that in and of themselves are very simple. You keep repeating that and it becomes a habit. And then that's what changes your life. As I found in the last month, doing stuff partially, doing it sometimes, is not helpful. My A1C is up to 7.1. If I had done them daily my A1C would be different. My A1C would be lower, better. So what do I do? I have daily actions that I do when? Daily. (laughs) It's pretty obvious, self-evident. But these things are key to me, and they're measurable, and I keep records. Now, why daily versus yearly? or monthly or weekly. Because too often, I, maybe you, once I fail to do the action, that can lead to a long string of failing to do the action. Let's say my plan is to stop eating at 7 p.m. And let's say I go for something at 7.30. I could think, I've already failed my plan I might as well continue to eat tonight because 
My plan for the day was to stop eating at 7, and I ate at 7.30. I might as well eat at 8 or 9 or 9.30 or 10 or 10.30 or all of the above. But if I break it into smaller chunks, sometimes an hour is the biggest chunk I can give myself. By doing it one day or one hour at a time, especially using one hour if I feel like I'm about to divert from my plan or just did divert from my plan, it helps avoid giving up. I work my plan from this moment forward. Regardless of what I did yesterday or or what I did five minutes ago, from this moment forward, I can work my plan. I can do what I know is most helpful to me regardless of what I just did. I can decide now. It can be as simple as, okay, I just reached into a bag of chips. Chips was not on my eating plan today. If I give myself a pause, if I give myself a small break and just think, I can say I do not need to reach into that bag again. Now, with some of these hyper-palatable foods, sometimes, yes, that is very difficult. But I owe it to myself to at least pause and think. All right, so what are my specific things? What do I do that I'm trying to form into habits? First of all, I keep them measurable and I keep records, like I said. What do I do? I measure my blood sugar. Now, I do this by wearing a continuous glucose monitor. So I get a reading 24-7. It doesn't lie. As long as I put it on and I don't take it off, I'm always going to know what my blood sugar is. If I have eaten way out of plan a night before, I get up the next morning and my blood sugar is still very high. I can't avoid, unless I don't look at it, but I do. I check it on my phone several times a day. But I can't avoid seeing the results of going off my plan. So I measure my blood sugar constantly. Maybe you don't measure it constantly. Maybe you do a finger stick every morning, maybe two or three times a day, maybe after a meal, two hours or whatever. Or maybe you don't have an issue with high blood sugar right now, you have it under control, and maybe you only get an A1C once every three or six months from your doctor. But measuring your blood sugar, because that's the result. That's For someone with type 2 diabetes, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get your blood sugar under control. The only way you know if you're successful is to measure it. All right, what else? I eat within my plan. Now for me, my plan is based on macros, macronutrients. I eat specific quantities of each of the three macronutrients every day. That's my plan. I also eat it within a specific timing window, if you will. Except for my coffee with cream, which I have first thing in the morning, usually around 7 or 8. Except for that, I eat things, especially things that contain carbohydrates, between about 1 p.m. and about 7 p.m. I try to keep it within 6 or 7 hours. Now, that might sound wishy-washy, but it depends on am I out traveling, am I driving, am I busy with some other event or activity where I can't possibly eat before 6 or 6.30 for dinner, then I just, I give myself a little bit of slack, but not much. And I also schedule my movement. I actually put my walking, my long walks that I like to do outside in the rail trail, I actually put that on my calendar. Either the day before or maybe the morning of, I'll look and see when I have a two-hour block of time. Two-hour block of time gives me a 15-minute drive out there, 15-minute drive home, 
and also a walking for about an hour or hour and 15 minutes easily fits within that two hour block of time. So that's what I do. I put it on my calendar just like any other appointment. Maybe you want to put going to the gym on your calendar. I also have auxiliary habits. Seeking support, whether it be support from my doctor, support from uh, a nutritionist, dietitian, whatever it is you might want to use, but seeking support. There's also groups out there that can provide support. Meeting and seeking out folks who are going through the same issues like you are. You can use tools. I use my fitness pal to record things. My fitness pal also has areas where you can do journaling. It has a lot of features. You can do journaling on your own, even if you don't use my fitness pal. In fact, for the iPhone, Apple just came out with a journaling app. It looks pretty cool. I'm going to check it out. I also research type 2 diabetes for my own benefit and also for the podcast. And then I produce this podcast. I sit down, I record it, I figure out an outline. All that time helps me with my own daily activities. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. In addition to providing some information, I did it to keep myself accountable. So again, one day at a time, move on. If you need it, one hour at a time. If you need it, one bite at a time. It's going to help you avoid giving up. Okay, let's take a look at your questions. Of course, we have a great email here from Stephen from Glendale. I'm going to read it. Hi, Tom. When this podcast airs, it'll be a week after the new year. But my wife and I wanted to wish you and your family a wonderful new year, and we look forward to all your podcasts in 2024. Stephen. Oh, hey, thanks a lot, Stephen. Thank you to your wife. I certainly appreciate your writing in. I appreciate the well wishes. And uh, like I said at the top of the podcast, I wish everybody who's listening a very great new year. It's always good to hear from Stephen. He sometimes gives good information, sometimes makes suggestions, or sometimes just says hi, and that's all welcome. If you would like to contact me here in the podcast, there's two easy ways to do it. First is send me an email, tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. And of course, that's always with the number two, solvingtype2diabetes.com. Or go over to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, and click on feedback. And you can write a question, you can send in a comment, you can tell me what you don't like, maybe there's something you do like. Also, I'm always looking for suggestions for new topics, so feel free to write in on that. So I'm curious, did you make a New Year's resolution? How's it going? I don't want to say that they're not always unsuccessful. Sometimes they can be very successful, but for me, I need something that's daily and something that is actionable. So what's next? Next time, a couple weeks from now, it'll be coming right back off a cruise. Uh, matter of fact, I'll be recording the next episode the day after I get home. And I want to talk about using journaling as a tool for solving type 2 diabetes. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review 
as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.